thank you guys for for being here. This is uh, podcast number nineteen, September twenty second, two thousand twenty. We're here with prominent nuclear whistleblowers who, during the Cold War, had the highest security clearance in the country, a Q clearance to guard weapons grade nuclear bomb material. They have been working together for 26 years. Their names are Jeff Wauburn and Charles Chick Lawson, which for the next uh, 32 minutes, we'll be talking with them on the the crimes that they've uncovered. They recently filed a class action lawsuit against the Portsmouth Gaseous Diffusion Plant's contracted corporations, including Lockheed Martin, the United States Enrichment Corporation, etc., and guys, welcome, welcome. I'm glad we were able to to get you on the uh, 26 year allegiance that you two have been a part of. How did you two become nuclear investigators together? What happened? Basically, uh, Jeff was hurt in an accident. I was the OSHA investigator for the plant in the police department, but also the plant OSHA investigator. I was investigating his accident, uncovered a lot of uh, criminal acts. And after he got out of the hospital, he called me from the hospital to start saving documents. And that's basically what, what started it. Yeah, we, uh, I'd, I'd been in the military and uh, been involved with nuclear there. And just the fact that had background in law enforcement, I said, Jake, you better start getting documents because they're going to disappear. And by us getting them early, we got duplicates, one that read one way one that read another way and so they made two sets of documents so that's how we got started yeah so so from the beginning of you guys getting started there was already a cover-up um and through, through the years a, a team has been assembled uh i started working with you guys about five years ago um you know connecting the dots from metropolis paducah portsmouth and now you're working with three law firms in this this lawsuit so that is that is very exciting right uh, Nathan Hunter then uh, Tim Howard out of out of uh, Tallahassee Florida and then of course uh, uh, mr. Dick Collins uh, so uh, that's the three attorneys Nathan's uh, out of based out of Ohio mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and through this you've You've uncovered evidence that shows that the children and even schools, local schools, have been contaminated with radioactive material, including uranium, plutonium, neptunium, americium, and even fission products. Yes. Would you correct? Would you be able to describe how this happened this this didn't just come from the air uh didn't well it didn't just come naturally it came from the plant uh what type of injuries are these children going to suffer from i mean i know that genetic mutations is pretty common amongst individuals who have been exposed to radiation that uh, go ahead because of the type of radiation uh the genetic problems you have it would be from the neutrons and stuff and some of the gamma that we receive which causes genetic mutations up to four generations and with the schools you're looking at airborne contamination these are passive monitors 
and also with uh, with if it if they're releasing it to the atmosphere, it starts raining. Then it comes down and gets in the water. Plus, it plus they were also dumping into the creeks and ditches that was running into Big Beaver or Beaver Creek in the Soda River. Then you also have Camp Creek, Ohio, and the uh, Northwest or Otway with the Northwest School in that area contaminated. Now we found evidence of Valley and the prison in Lucasville. Yeah. Bobby, I think uh, what you're going to hear Doe come out and say what they're trying to segue away. Doe being the Department of Energy. Department of Energy. They're they're trying to change the narrative to external radiation and uh, one millionth of a gram of plutonium ingested or inhaled is lethal and what we're talking about is toxicity and we don't want anyone to suggest that we're talking about anything but toxicity because well they're saying it's minute amounts um the old saying is uh when the crap hits the fan you get it on you that's not a minute amount uh so to speak and uh it becomes personal then and uh that's that's what we've got, and those trying to outrun this. Department of Energy is mm-hmm. trying to mm-hmm. outrun this. They don't have much uh, affiliation for children. Well, uh, what what would you say is the the worst genetic mutation that you have seen personally in the community? Yeah, don't you have a uh, a former coworker who had a child? I, I had a coworker. Uh, he told me to get his get a, get my camera and come to his house. And uh, I grew up in their house, actually, a family friend, mm-hmm. and then like the first generation of people that worked there. But he he searched for neutrons, and back in the day, they had to kind of, if you think of a car creeper or a mechanic getting under a car, they had to pull through this system. And he and his family had a child with a hydro seal. Their baby was born without a face. And we're aware of similar things that's happened in Mayak, Russia. Uh, that it's one of the most contaminated places on Earth. But they're having similar uh, anomalies with the offspring. And then, of course, you had the Hibakusha uh, from Hiroshima and Nagasaki that were not allowed uh, by the Japanese government to uh, to reproduce because they didn't want genetic failure. Uh, to be prominent in their in their race. Yes, uh, uh, Chick. Yes. The the main charge, I'd say the the most heavy charge against the the plant, nuclear plant, uh, RICO, racketeer yep. influenced corrupt organizations, the establishment of a a nuclear criminal enterprise. What is RICO, and how does that play into your charges against them? What what acts were involved for this to be filed as uh, uh, racketeering charges? Basically, the way the law reads, any criminal enterprise that is done for profit, then that is what makes RICO. So what you're looking at is they were having materials there. They were getting materials from Russia. It was supposed to be one thing, and it was another, full of transuranics. We were processing it. They knew that. They exposed us to it. If they'd have done what they were supposed to do, it would have cut into their profit margin. 
so that's how you get to RICO. It was done criminally for profit to make money, and that they were making millions, if not billions, of dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, had situations where um, the the material that was sent for, that we processed before we even knew about the transuranics. Uh, it got sent back because they couldn't accept it. Well, then they had to try to clean it up. Uh, you had seals leaking. So these materials that were coming out, leaking out from the seals in the process buildings, we were being exposed to that. We were ingesting it and inhaling it and absorbing it through because of the heat of the building. So all these things were done for profit. They wired around these seal alarms. That's for profit. That was a criminal act for profit. So that makes it RICO. They rigged the radiation alarms not to go off. They set the set points up high enough where it would clear because of all the background radiation we're having from the le- uh, leakages. So that makes it RICO. There's multiple things in this that makes it RICO. Mm-hmm. And because the seals were leaking in the piping and just pushing out radioactive contamination into the work environment they chose to turn on exhaust fans that would push this this radioactive material out into the atmosphere and into the community Uh, with that and also a process known as midnight rockets what do you have to say about uh, are you familiar with the process midnight rockets I assume you are uh, because it's part of the lawsuit Uh, there was um two uh, reports that DOE did about May of 2000 and one was called a black curtain the other one was called a blue curtain but what they did is they brought individuals in and let them give testimony and uh, this is um, we're aware of it each person had their own testimony so somewhere they've got a catalog of all individual testimonies but they homogenized it. Uh, they made soup out of it to where it was unrecognizable and there was no one identified that said, like the Midnight Rockets, but they know exactly who the person was that admitted to the Midnight Rockets. Now, Bobby, that, that's a criminal act. That's, uh, they were letting uh, radionuclides and transuranics out to the air and part of what they called the SIP cup cip cup was the update of the 30 the 33 building uh where they went in and refitted it but uh they did a refit on it but pressures would build up and this so to keep pressures was building up in the middle of the night they would just rocket this stuff up into the air and so if the wind was blowing if you happen to be out walking your dog or uh, just couldn't sleep, went out to get a fresh uh, air, you know, break. Got the window open. Got the window open. Air conditioning. Uh, air conditioning ducts pull this stuff directly into the household. And, yeah. you know, during a midnight rocket release, you know, you say you're just miles away from the plant. They let a, a midnight rocket release out into the atmosphere got your air conditioning on it's pulling it directly into your house and you're trapped inside your children are sleeping they don't know they're receiving radionuclides while they sleep um what about this thing 
called Skyshine. What is Skyshine? That is an anomaly. Uh, even people that that take uh, X-rays, uh, even hospitals, have to be aware of it because it's a collective. Um, the composite of all the cylinders, take for example out there, that would uh, come together and somewhere that radioactive material is being um, directed into the ionosphere just like a ham radio is radio waves. Mm-hmm. Well, radioactivity has radio waves. And so it goes up into the air and it comes back down. And that's commonly known by people that are ham operators that you can bounce radio signals off to, to get other parts of the world and that's a technique that they've done but with this radioactive material there's a lot of things out there they just don't want to talk about and so that that is also a method that people could be getting radioactive uh, exposure mm-hmm. it's with the sky shine because the curvature of the earth and the rotation it could be going up in one part and coming down uh, in in the middle of Pike in Ohio. They, they could, they're aware of that. Yeah, they're they're aware of sky shine. They, uh, back to the first time I heard it, uh, one of their people uh, he'd graduated from Purdue. Uh, he was Purdue Boilermaker uh, grad, and uh, he's the first person that ever told me about it. And uh, his uh, his expertise was physics so it was something they'd studied in college uh, people that did that kind of work were aware of it That's such an interesting scenario I, I have heard of uh, using certain types of clouds as a way to uh, create better uh, communication signals from one point to another to bounce communication signals from one point to another or to block them so you have the, these clouds these low-laying clouds and with the uh, the gamma radiation or uh, alpha beta ra- radiation from these uh, depleted uranium cylinders, which on site I've seen with my own eyes, there there are between twenty and thirty thousand of these depleted uranium cylinders without a covering, without any type of protection, along the Ohio River, and even one depleted uranium cylinder yard is is so close to Little Beaver Creek that when it rains, any residual contamination is just washed down into the outfall into Little Beaver Creek. And the process of discharging to local bodies of water is, is normal. And you've got the issue too that these things are, or some of them are so old, they're rusting very badly. And that is going to be an issue if they're not already leaking. Now, I haven't been on there to go look and see, but I'm hearing that there's no way I can prove it. Mm-hmm. Well, during the 90s and 80s, uh, you guys seen this with your own eyes. Uh, when did you start at the plant, Jeff, and when did you start at the plant, Chick? I started in 1976. Uh, this is Jeff. I started in 76. I started in 1984. Mm-hmm. So during those... Uh, time spans you you guys actually did witness with your own eyes the condition of these cylinders the condition of the cylinders uh one uh, benchmark that i'm uh was eyewitness to was when they moved the uh, pilot plant from uh, huntington west virginia 
and buried that in a hole. They brought it in in open coal trucks. Uh, they uh, that particular pilot plant had covered uh, radioactive slugs with nickel, and uh, they the plant was contaminated, and uh, it become a problem for them. So they tore the plant down and just washed it with soap and water. And we were given the documents uh, from a legislator uh, from West Virginia, and not, not marked secret, nothing like that. Uh, we don't deal in secret documents. We never have. We don't. We don't uh, uh, accept anything. We don't accept anything like that. We do our due diligence and either get a FOIA or somebody gives it to us where it's it's been released. But this particular plant, they took it right to. Uh, populated areas in coal trucks and trains and uh, if you think about man's time 1979's not very far away but if you think of biological time with a 244,000 year half-life just some of the uh, 79's not even a blink of the eye and so the possibility and, and the route at that time they had to come through Portsmouth they had to come through Portsmouth. They went right up 23. They went down 52. The number of bridges that were there in 79, uh, we know the route they would have traveled. But uh, so, that, and there was plutonium in that mixture of material. That's one of the reasons they brought it to the plant. Now, now remember, plutonium has a half life of 24,100 years. That's just a blink of an eye for us from 79. Mm -hmm. That's our children's children's children and beyond. And so when they move this stuff in the open and, and frequently they'll use classification. Oh, you can't talk about that. I said, wait a minute. We've got the documents. They're, they're, they're released unless you went back and reclassified them and we don't know it. Part of the stuff we saw on the Internet. So... Uh, we're not out there committing espionage or trying to get secret documents. There's enough regular documents out on the internet that if you're a good investigator, you can find out plenty. Yeah, there there are some good databases out there. You just got to know what keywords to use. And yes. first, you have to understand that these databases, well, they're they're tough to access because they're not just listed on a normal search uh, engine. To be honest, I mean, the um, the Portsmouth and Paducah Environmental Information Center, um, EIC, it's a science division of the Oak Ridge office. They they manage Paducah and Portsmouth's documents. Um, but with that aside, the, the plutonium and the transuranics is an interesting uh, scenario. I think one of the most important, how plutonium and neptunium got to the plant and contaminated, the, first of all, the material, and then con completely contaminated the entire system at the plant, which was, as we talked about, the plant was leaking, it was outgassing all the time, it was shooting midnight rockets into the air while children slept. How did plutonium and neptunium get at the plant? The first, the first incident started in 1953, and that was from reactor feed that they brought in to rerun, mm -hmm. and no one was advised that these transuranics was mixed in with the reactor feed. No one knew it, and that we didn't find that out until the 1999 Comfort Inn meeting, and at that time, 
is when they were doing that, when the privatization had went through, they were actually bringing transuranic material from Mayak, Russia, straight from there to Piketon, and then we were feeding it again. But this stuff is even worse than what we got from Hanford. And they did not admit it. People were pouring their hearts out about exposure, and Doe is right there, Department of Energy, they had participated in bringing this material from Mayak, knew it was out of spec. Uh, the NRC knew it was out of out of spec, and they sat there silent while people poured their hearts out about exposures that they had had and kept quiet about it. And the, the most recent uh, date that they would pick was 1985, that material come out of Paducah. But even... Dr. David Michaels, who was their expert epidemiologist, either he was in on it or they lied to him as well. Mm-hmm. It can't be it it can't be both. It has to be one or the other. And the the stuff coming from Russia from 1994 to 2014, there was a an agreement between the United States and Russia. They had previously been arch enemies uh, during the Cold War and then all of a sudden in 1994 as a 20-year project they established an agreement known as the megatons to megawatts program also known as the HEU agreement the highly enriched uranium agreement where Russia would ship supposedly they were supposed to break down nuclear warheads in Russia with United States agents at the facilities in Mayak and others to observe to make sure that they were being transparent, that they were actually breaking down nuclear warheads and sending material over to the U.S. so the United States, the portion of the gaseous diffusion plant, Paducah gaseous diffusion plant, could process the material that was used in the bombs for domestic U.S power plants but what happened there um was there transparency was there a lack of oversight a lack of oversight uh whenever you're a regulator becomes a perpetrator and that's what we saw uh we started seeing as soon as the uh you united states enrichment corporation came on the scene you started seeing interlocking directorates between them and doe uh, they were using people that come over from DOE that had been DOE headquarters. Uh, they they weren't ignorant. They didn't lose their mind. Uh, Bill Bennett is uh, one of the people that comes to mind from DOE that went to uh, USEC, sitting with Bill uh, uh, Nick Timbers. Uh, but they did lethality studies, and they the charging charter by the. United States Congress was to bring warheads and nothing more. Warheads. And the Energy Policy Act of 1992, that was their charge and charter. They didn't say bring something that's similar or 20%, but it's not. It's not warhead material. They wanted warheads. But DOE and the uh, United States Enrichment Corporation thought they knew better. So they brought in the first 150 metric tons, 50 metric tons was not even checked. And so they brought those directly to 
uh, Python, the lethality study that they'd done on the warheads. If you were a stevedore, truck driver, whatever you were doing, they had digitized the amount of uptake that you would have of radiation exposure. But then they brought something in completely different, and that was not their charge and charter. Uh, I, I look at that, it's my opinion that that in itself is a predicate act, that they broke the law whenever they brought something other than what the Congress uh, told them to bring. And so we checked with the safety people, of, uh, and this is recently, of the USW and said, did you know you were working with out-of-spec uranium? And they said, no, sir, we did not. So what we've had is a group of renegades or running amok uh, for profit that exposed our people at the plant. Uh, we took it home with us. Now it's out in the community. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's become a problem because the Russian method is being used on American soil. And there, anyone that talked out about the plant, they went, had the, US, the uh, Ohio Dr Drug Task Force come to their house knock on their door, say, hey, you're growing marijuana here. We're going to handcuff you. Uh, we know of three incidents where this happened. One lady was actually transported to another county. So you couldn't speak out about the plant. And so the secret, the hurting the kids, does that sound like America to you? Mm. There was a time when, of course, the workers were exposed to beyond their limitation of radiation there was a time when all of the radiation records on how the workers were exposed how much they were exposed there was a record-keeping system there were documents all of those radiation records were destroyed you want to talk about that chip Yes. Uh, when I was doing my investigation found out that they had falsified our dosimeter badges and so everybody knows you're you're legally allowed to get five rem in a year. You shouldn't, but that's what the parameter is. And when we found out what they were doing, they were only measuring the alpha, beta, gamma. There was no neutrons measured in with our dose until after 1996, after I started my investigation. During that time, I found that the guards, because of what they call a slow cooker phenomenon, which actually really means subcritical reaction because of the vaults and the high assay material. What we were getting was between 2.3 to sometimes 3.5 rem a quarter, which means by the second quarter, we were already over our legal limit. Now, when you figure in at the end of the year, when you add the neutron exposure that they did not count, you're looking at your running roughly between uh, about 16 to 21 rem dose a year, roughly. I'll give you an example. A lifetime uh, radiation dose is 50 rem. I'm at 240 rem. That's on a 15-year count. So I'm way over my legal limit already. Um, so that that's basically what you're looking at. And what they did... Uh, Dale Allen had a middle line manager 
uh, by name, Sandy Fowl, to take those records, and they ordered them, the uh, uh, the other union, take them, put them through a wood chipper. I called them. I physically saw them do it. I tried to stop it. I went to DOE officials, um, Gene Gillespie, and uh, uh, Orson, John Orson, John Orson, and they would not stop it. I reported to OSHA. OSHA did find them for destroying those records. But then what happened? They turned around and did away with the fine. And they only charged them $2,500 on the fine. Now, legally, because that was considered a serious violation, you have to keep those records for 30 years in one day. On day two, you can destroy that one record from 30 years ago. So what happened was when I asked William Murphy, who was the OSHA director in Cincinnati, I said, why did you only find him 2500 when you could have found a, a fine of $100,000 per record? He goes, if we had done that, we would have been in court for the next 50 years, and we can't afford it. But that's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. And because of that, now you've got people under the Department of Labor, under the Energy Employees Occupational Illness Program, they cannot meet the criteria to get their benefits on their cancers because they are using what's called the Monte Carlo configuration to figure our doses. So you cannot meet the 50% causation. And we're looking at a 79.9% uh, of a group of the workers that cannot get their benefits because of this destruction of records. Mm. Uh, Bobby, too, they, they let the perpetrators. We've got a 41-page report, internal report, that, I mean, it'll scorch your eyeballs to see it. Criminal, full of criminality. And we DOE knows of this report. We've named this report in the Senate. Uh, they sent an altered report to the Senate, undermined, uh, I made testimony in the Senate uh, Committee on Governmental Affairs uh, in March of 2000. They sent false documents to the Senate. Uh, we've got both copies. And, you know, you've, you've got, uh, Dale Allen was the plant manager. And you've got a guy that was running amok there, uh, he he was doing all kinds of weird things, but did they take him out of there? No, they didn't. I mean, you know, hitting people, choking people, that was common known that the plant manager there was doing this rough stuff on people. Uh, Throwing them out of their chairs, turning chairs over. Choking people in meetings. Uh, hitting the secretary in the head with a phone. Yeah, and then getting people fired for sexual harassment. When he himself, uh, one of the safety people, said he'd been seven times, anger management and, and sexual harassment, he'd been to seven different uh, correction uh, meetings that he'd had to go to. But he was firing people, anyone that stood up. They were firing, they were harassing them, they were threatening their lives, their families' lives. Uh, Chick and myself have been threatened with our own lives and our lives of our family. And this material and you know the, the agreement between the U.S. and Russia, the megatons and megawatts, HEU agreement, uh, people are willing to go to extra lengths to make sure that the United States Enrichment Corporation, these contractors, made money. 
at the expense of safety. Um, when they would have intentional releases, they would put the security guards up on the roof when they when they would perform some of these intentional releases to the atmosphere. Chick, you want you have any info on that? Yeah, what we had we were, whenever we had to go up and check what they call safety seals up there, and it's a it's just a security seal. And they were not supposed to release anything while we were on the roof. And we'd always call in, check in like we were supposed to. And I myself, this has happened to me many times. You'd be up there, and when they'd start jetting that, that's coming out, and it sounds like a jet engine. And it's it's, it's screaming when it comes out of there. And when you're up there, it's midnight. You're on, a eight, on the roof of an 80-foot-tall building with no kind of side panels on it. You're overcome with these chemicals. You can't breathe. You've got you're you're lacking oxygen. You're trying to get out of it, and you're trying to find a door to get down. And you would be covered in this stuff, and you're ingesting it, inhaling it, and wasn't it just wasn't the radiation? You also had phosgene, which was mustard gas, coming out of there, and, and 22 classified gas and HF. HF. Yes. So I mean. You're being deprived of oxygen. You're trying to find a door to get down off that roof, and they're just releasing this stuff like crazy. Mm-hmm. And and you would in the same clothes that you wore at the plant that was contaminated with these releases and the material that you were around. Workers would wear those clothes home, and wives would do the laundry, so they were being exposed. Yes. You had cross-contamination. Later on, uh, when I became safety man, they had said that you would have to have a frisk or you would frisk out. But what we did know that they had raised the set limits on those friskers, so it always read negative. And it turned out they were were actually contaminated. The ACRs, the air control rooms uh, in the process buildings were contaminated with airborne contamination. And I had one of the supervisors come to me. One guy said, yeah, we've got one intake that goes to all the ACRs. And he goes, if ACR4 was frying chicken, we knew about it because we could smell it. And uh, so whatever was contaminated in one ACR uh, was contaminated in the other. And they used to tell us to shelter there in place. And uh, we got it on good authority. That was not the place to shelter. But... They, they was using uh, moderators, too, to block uh, alarms. Uh, your body as a moderator were uh, percentages of water, I think uh, 90, 90%, 90% yeah. water. Uh, our body is a moderator. So they were using barrels of oil and um, to block the uh, alarms, the criticality alarms from sources that may uh, be going subcritical. What well, didn't go off, but if you walk between those barrels, you're a moderator too, so you're getting nailed. And so then you go to their on-site dosimetry program, and they start averaging your uh, dose out with somebody that didn't even work in the building. And they said, well, we didn't have no alarms. So, of course you didn't. You put, a lot, you put moderators in front of your criticality alarms. We got reports that show that from Bonnie Rumble. Uh, to uh, she was a uh, nuclear physicist uh, that she had complained to Battelle that they were were doing that. 
they, they were wiring around the alarm systems that were put in place to protect the workers because there was so much leakage and so much radiation there that the plant would have had to be w w shut down if, if all the alarms were to actually go off. And the alarms would have gone off, but they chose to just turn off the alarms or wire around the, the alarm systems so plant operations could continue. Um, so, going back to the Russia and U.S. deal, of course, during the Cold War, U.S. and Russia were arch enemies. And then in 94, the Megatons Megawatts program, the U.S. brought in the material to Portsmouth from Russia. So as opposed to Russia dropping a nuclear bomb on the United States, they were killing United States civilians by bringing in contaminated equipment. Would you like to speak about that? Uh, I would, uh, you know, people frequently say when a new president comes in, well, he's got his finger on the, uh, he's got his finger on the nuclear trigger and we should be careful about this president, but no one's looking at DOE. DOE's adding uh, contamination, they're bearing contamination uh, there at the plant, for instance, there's they're using a six mile radius. We we can prove that there's contamination out to fourteen miles and maybe fifty miles. Uh, but if you look, and it's my opinion, you've got to look at Mayak Russia, and I don't want Mayak Russia to supersede what's going on here. But they got people to invest in a human rights violation, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's nothing but a human rights violation that's going on there in my act right now. They didn't bring warheads. Uh, there was no transparency. There's reports that show there was no transparency. They were bringing, it was supposed to be blended down HEU, but they was bringing HEU directly. And uh, it's what was coming out of Russia was not equipment. It was it was material. It was radioactive material, mm -hmm. and it was supposed to be from warheads. Right now, we got about we got about one minute. Okay, but uh, that's my opinion. Uh, they got people to invest through the SEC in a uh, human rights violation. Now they're they're violating our human rights right here uh, in Scioto and Pike County. And the, the children are having to suffer the consequences. The children, you think of when you're a kid, you're running, you're breathing, you're a little air monitor yourself. You're just breathing so hard, you're all sweaty. If that's in the air out around the school, they're getting it on it. And, they're taking in. It's in the air systems. What was that? It's in the air conditioning systems. It was inside the school. It wasn't just outside the school. Very true, very true. And I, I, be, I believe, just to wrap this up, that the other schools and the institution, the uh, there's a prison uh, miles away from the plant uh, that across the street at an air monitoring station, uh, radioactive isotopes have been detected. And these are institutions. These are places where kids and these prisoners have to be stationed, stationed in place. They're... they're they didn't choose for this radiation to come in and to breathe it in. 
So they're having to suffer the consequences. I believe these, the rest of these schools deserve a forensic radiochemical investigation performed on them. And it's going to be interesting to see the fruit of your 26-year allegiance to truth and justice in the nuclear investigation field, the Portsmouth Gaseous Diffusion Plant, and the paradigm change that is going to happen starting with Portsmouth. I think, Bobby, if the chick and I would agree on anything, anybody that knows anything, we sure don't want Doe doing those investigations. You can't trust them to tell the truth. We've caught them so many times in lies. Uh, they've lied recently. Uh, and, and they're still lying and withholding information that's hurting these kids, hurting the community. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you guys so much for, for coming in on this show, podcast number 19. I'm looking forward to seeing the fruit of your class action lawsuit. The racketeering influence corrupt organization lawsuit against a portion of the gaseous diffusion plant. Thank you guys for your service. It's an honor to work with you. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you, Bobby.